What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Booch Please Podcast. I am joined by a very special person today. She is an Olympic caliber track and field athlete. Um, But before we get to her, I just want to say really quick, I'm so sorry for dropping off the face of the earth for a little bit on this podcast in the last couple of weeks. It's been a really challenging time trying to start this new business. I'm opening a kombucha line. It's called Kindred Kombucha, and it's a lot of freaking work. You got to like pick bottles. You got to pick bottle caps, shit that I never thought I had to, to do. Um, I was just like, I just want to give people kombucha. But no, there's like so many different details to think about. So got really caught up with that. And then also I wanted to be intentional with the direction that I'm taking this podcast in 2021. And as we're approaching the end of 2020, I can't believe it. But yeah, now is kind of the time to reflect on how this year has gone and where to take it from, from here. And I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what I want to do next uh, with this thing, but without further ado, thank you guys for your patience. Um, I want to get to our amazing, lovely guest today. As I said, she is an Olympic caliber track and field athlete. She is a world university games, gold medalist, gold medalist in anything is cool, but like world university games, that's like extra cool. Uh, She's also a Pan Am games, um, bronze medalist, a Canadian record holder in the four by 100 meter relay. And outside of that, when she's not running really fast, she studied fashion marketing and she recently got a certification in digital marketing. And she also loves food. All of these things are reasons why I am a huge fan of her. So without further ado, we have Kim Hyacinth in our studio. Yes. Thank God. (laughs) I had to triple check with her before we started recording. Um, Kim, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited. As soon as I met you, I knew I wanted to have you on the podcast just because you're so inspirational and you also have such a breadth of knowledge on the human experience, on life, and I want the people to hear what you have to say. But before we get to that, please introduce yourself a little bit more. Tell us about your athletic career and maybe tell us about how you became a professional athlete. Um, so I started uh, very randomly, actually. I used to play basketball when I was younger. Um, I'm still young, actually, but <laughs> when I was younger. younger. <laughs> so when I was in high school, um, so I started playing basketball and we had to run cross country and um, to keep in shape. And I didn't really like it, but um, we had to. Also, after our season was done, we had to do other sports. And one of my friends, she came to me and she was like, hey, we're pretty fast on the court. So um, do you want to go and do track? I was like, track? What is this? <laughs> She's like, you, just, you just run fast and like you just sprint and like it's races. And I was like, man, I'm not really interested. She's like, we're going to miss school. I was like, bet I'm coming. I'm I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) I am all in now. So that's basically how I started just to miss two days of school. (laughs) I love that. Actually, um, I feel like that's how you get students to do anything. Yeah. Uh, Like in university and high school is you get to miss school and there's free pizza. Like those are the two best ways to entice children into committing to something. Yeah. But. Um, so funny that it's taken you all around the world, that, that humble beginning. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of your stats? So we know you're obviously like a medalist and you're amazing, but what are some numbers that people can kind of relate to or not relate to at home? Uh, (laughs) like what are some of the records you hold or what are some personal PRs and what are you chasing right now? Um, 
numbers, I would say that uh, my personal best in the 200 meters is 2278. Um, seconds. Yes, yeah, seconds, not minutes. Seconds for the people at home. Um, <laughs> well, in the 100, uh, it's 1131 seconds, 11.31 seconds. Um, and I don't really want to say my 400 because I'm not proud of it. So I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, so uh, um, people at home, just imagine something really fast. <laughs> Whatever you can run for 400 meters, like divide that by like 10. That's how fast. <laughs> um, and I, I hold a, I don't know how many, but a couple uh uh, Quebec records because I'm originally from Quebec and it's still my home province. I've run, I don't even know how many races I've run. Yeah, how, how long be have cool. you been in the field for? Like, how long have you been training for this? I've been training since I was four. I started my first training at 14 and I'm 31. So, how much is that? 17 years? No? Yeah. So, <gasps> more than half of your life. Oh, yeah. 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 So, that's that must be such a big part of your identity then, you know, this is something that you've done for longer than you have not done. Yeah. I, I honestly, I didn't even think about that until you told me and I'm like, Oh, hold on. 17 years in my head. It was like, Oh, it's been 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> That's so cool. Like so many, I feel like, especially with the current generation, you know, everybody has this attention deficit. Um, we can't do, the same thing for very long. I can't even wait for an app to load on my iPhone for Just. for more than 10 seconds. So for you to do something for more than half of your life, that is a dying breed. That's really awesome. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't think of it that way. I just do it. For a lot of us, not just professional athletes, we go through life with out of habit, right? We yeah. go through life this is familiar. I know how to do this. Sometimes when I'm walking home from the grocery store, I'm not even thinking, I'm like, Whoa, how, I can't believe I'm already a block away from home. Like how yeah. did I get through the last five blocks? You know, yeah. you do so many things out of habit, uh, rather than an intention. And when you finally slow down to dismantle it and question it, it's so amazing <laughs> the yeah. way that life has amounted to. And yeah, obviously you, you've lived through so many experiences that a lot of people in the general public have not. Um, so with the trials and tribulations of 2020, you've experienced 2020 in a unique way from everyone else. I'm sure the themes of the challenges are similar. You know, the theme of like isolation and uh, rescheduling things, grieving what would have been. Um, how specifically did 2020 impact your training and the trajectory of your career? Um, it basically threw a wrench in the plans. <laughs> um, so as some people know, the Olympics were supposed to happen in July this year and they were postponed to next year. Um, the only thing with that, like everybody's like, okay, then you don't have to train for it. You still have to train because uh, it's not a matter of months. It's years in the making. Right. And yeah. we train for four years in cycles for this. I've been training for 17 years now and sometimes you train that long and you never get a chance to get to the Olympics, you know? So, um, for having to wait four years and then adding another year, everyone's like, Oh, it's so long. Like, why is it like, you have to wait another year. I'm like, you know what? I'll just take another year to get better. But the thing is training was very different. Uh, 
had to train on the roads, which is not my usual. It took a toll on my body, didn't have access to um, therapy for that. So it was a little bit of juggling that side. Do you mean Um, during lockdown? Yeah. Yeah. Like when clinics were closed during the first lockdown. Oh, I can't imagine your body's literally your job. Well, technically it is. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, we had like, and I put some more stress on it because I was running on surfaces that I wasn't used to. Um, And just going on parks and like we, me and my training partners, we, it was three of us. We made us a bubble and nobody was allowed (laughs) nobody was allowed out and we basically were lifting in my backyard um sometimes it was snowing (laughs) sometimes it was minus four with wind sometimes it was raining like we just had to adapt to a certain way and even though the olympics weren't happening it was still we still had to stay in shape to be able to be able to bounce back for next year. You know, this is my take on it. Feel free to correct me. I've never been to the Olympics, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I imagine it to be like, if you have a five round workout and you're giving your all on that last round, you're like, Oh, I'm almost done. And then at the last second, the coach is like, "Ah, just kidding. You've got another five rounds. You're like, I just ran through all my gas tank. I've emptied the tank and now I have to go, and put myself through another five rounds of that. So it's kind of like moving the finish line further after you've been put through four years, like a four year cycle of training. So I can imagine like mentally and physically, it must've taken a toll to adjust to that reality. Yeah. um, We were already in our phases of like, Hey, we're going to get into competition in March. That's where we're going to get stuff started to get qualifying. At first, we were all like, okay, this is weird, but, and they didn't cancel the Olympics right away. So we were like, ah, what's it's happening? <laughs> no, but we were just like, okay, what, what's next? Like, um, are the Olympics still happening? Because we can't train. Hello. So it was kind of a relief, actually, that they actually um, postponed them because um, not everybody had the same even around the world, like not everybody had the same situations to train. So it wouldn't have been very unfair if they had it. Um, That's so true. Like every country has its own government and their government's dealing with as like even exemplified by our neighbors, you know, the U S dealt with COVID so differently than Canada. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, Everybody's there's like no level playing field. Anymore. No, it's so no. it's so just threw a wrench into everything. Before we talk about like how you were able to work through that initial shock factor, what are some of the major milestones you have to surpass to become an Olympic qualified sprinter or runner? Well, for us, basically, it's very um, straightforward. It's you hit a time, and you have to be one of the best three in the country. Oh, basically three spots. Yeah. Okay. Three spots per country per event. Okay. So, and is that time measured in competition or is yes. that done in training? Okay. So there, no, mm-hmm. it has to count. It has to be on paper. So you do that on through competitions. Like it has to be sanctioned. So I can uh-huh. run as much as I can in practice, but it's not going to count. 
Yeah. I mm-hmm. had a brief stint uh, competing in Olympic weightlifting at yeah. like the provincial level. And <laughs> weightlifting isn't even a big sport here in Canada. So mm-hmm. it, it's not saying much, um, but I do appreciate that what you do in training means nothing if you can't show up on the day of and replicate that or perform that to the best of your ability. Um, and it's so, and we'll talk about competition in just a second, because I really want to delve your brain, um, about like your competition mindset before we get there. I mean, you had to go through all these competitions and training and obviously like fighting off injuries. It's so normal in a professional athlete's life, going through all that for the Olympics to be a big standstill or question mark back in March. Like what was going through your mind? How did you deal with that? the time honestly i i feel like my brain is working for me and trying to erase all the memories Um, (laughs) (laughs) we're like bringing up all the triggers we're not supposed to i'm so sorry basically no it's just like oh we we went through a pandemic all right oh yeah i remember this (laughs) um honestly because i've been through a lot of stuff throughout my career and like just having also uh, qualified for Rio in 2016 and then not getting to go like a couple days before. Um, it put a lot of things into perspective for me and I'm super thankful for my teammates as well. Cause we all have the same mentality of like, Hey, it is what it is. And what are we going to do to, um, what are we going to do to get better anyways? Or what are we going to do to remedy to that situation? Right we reduced practice. So we weren't practicing five days a week anymore. We we're practicing three days. Mm. Um, I did a lot of couch sitting, <laughs> watched a lot of TV, um, ate a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> that, that's so human of you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I just, we, we went down hill, <laughs> but we were still training anyways, kept a semblance of semi-routine. Uh, when the weather was allowing, but we always got our three days in. I didn't feel sad or anything. I was just like, hey, everything's going to work out at some point. I had a lot of dance parties by myself. I talked to my friends, which I don't really do. No, I'm joking, but... (laughs) um, With friends. (laughs) Lots of FaceTime, right? With friends. My family, obviously, because they're in Montreal, so I FaceTime them a lot. And... Yeah, just try to get my mind occupied without overdoing it, actually. It says a lot about your mental fortitude to just go with the flow and and say, like, this is out of my hands. And it sounds like you alluded to that um, or you alluded to the fact that you've experienced loss before in in this, you know, the sport, in the context of the sport. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about the Rio um, story? Yeah, um, so I qualified for the Olympics in 2016, and uh, a couple of days before, we were at a competition in London, and I tore my quad during that competition. So five days before we had to leave for camp for the Olympics, I injured myself. So we came back to Toronto, uh, tried my best with the doctors and um, therapist, and we tried to get back and unfortunately we were cut short and were not sent to the, the games. Um, that almost feels more personal if I were in your shoes. 
No, that definitely feels personal. I'm like, come on, man, can I get a break? I mean, yeah. <laughs> can I just go? Let me go. <laughs> but like today so. of all days, quad. How dare you? <laughs> Basically, and it was the same situation too in 2012, where like I was, I've had the standard the year before, but then I had an injury that in 2012. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Let's do 2016. Made it to 2016, and I'm like okay <laughs> get again. injured again yeah. yeah so yeah and then now the pandemic and i'm just like all right be cool <laughs> honestly i'm just like oh maybe i wasn't gonna be ready this year so next mm. year i will be so <laughs> that's a beautiful mentality though like yeah. the universe is conspiring for me even yes. if it seems yes. like it's not working for me right now it mm. is in some way and you just yeah. have to trust that and, and have faith in that I think that's the only way that we can stay sane during this yeah. time is like my, as my friend Mia would say, white knuckling hope, like just yeah. hanging on to it for dear life. <laughs> Basically training is uh, all this stuff is like even running is 80% mental. Like it's very, very mental. So like, I just feel like it's a bunch of things together that make me who I am right now and being like, okay, okay, I got knocked down. I can sit here for a little bit, but then I got to get back up at some point and fight some way, find some way to fight. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of people listening at home, the first thing they hear is, oh, I shouldn't wallow then, or I shouldn't feel my feelings. No, you're allowed. You, yeah. You've had your chance to feel your feelings and you've we're able to learn from them. And that's why when this sort of thing has happened again, now you're able to be so strong and proactive about it. Right. Yeah. And I think for people, a lot of people at home, this is probably their first encounter with something so debilitating and life-changing mm -hmm. at this scale. Um, and so for that, yeah, like if you need to feel your feelings, fucking process it, but just yeah. know that down the road, if something similar happens again, you're going to be stronger because of it. And like, exactly. look at Kim, that's what she did. <laughs> um, but going back to what you said about running or sprinting being mental, um, I think that's the case with, you know, a lot of sports or a lot of competition style mm -hmm. things. Um, is, is that something that you were always drawn to? Like as a little girl growing up, like you were into like being mindful or being in your mindset? Um, I wouldn't say that. I think that I was always very like I've always been very competitive um from a young age just and I was surrounded by boys like my uncle my cousins everybody was <laughs> a boy so I was always trying to fight people I was always <laughs> trying to not fight people like but I was challenge them <laughs> yeah and they would challenge me all the time like or use me as a as a dummy as a WWE app <laughs> and stuff like that so I was like always like trying to fight so, <laughs> like inside of me of like always wanting to win and uh fight things like fight for things and just being myself and like not caring about what other people think so growing up was like mindfulness or mindset like a part of everyday conversation with your family for me it um, really wasn't <laughs> yeah no it wasn't actually because i mean i'm of a Caribbean background and I think that especially for my family it wasn't never a thing like that it's more of a spirituality I would say hmm. um, way. like believing that things will work out 
uh, in certain way because it's written for you type of thing. It sounds like it's not about like not planning or not caring. It's mm-hmm. more about trusting. Yes. That if I just show up and I do the freaking work, what's yeah. going to happen is going to happen anyways. Exactly. And that is so freeing. I think that's yeah. what a lot of people that are searching for mindfulness or trying to implement m- mindfulness is trying to get to, but it's so funny that you were just, that's what you already have. <laughs> uh, where in the Caribbean is your family from? Uh, my parents are from Haiti. Ah, yeah. spicy food. Yes. All <laughs> oh, the spices. Yes. All the flavors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And we're going to settle this. Haitians have the best rice and peas. Just, just going to say it. You heard it here first. Uh, I'm not. I'm not about to fight her. She grew up fighting her uncles and her cousins. So I. I will believe you when you say that. <laughs> come for me. Come for me. I wasn't here. <laughs> Is that something that you make right now? Like, do you do you I, a lot of that? But during the pandemic, I did make it a couple times. It's not up to the level yet. <laughs> it needs a little work. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's an Olympic level runner, not an Olympic level uh, rice and peas maker. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> not yet, Thank you. not yet. We'll not get yet. that medal. <laughs> yeah, there's something about like immigrant moms. They just know how to make food, and I'm not even gonna try. Like same thing. Yeah. I see. I see my parents pretty regularly, like at least a couple times a month. Mm-hmm. And every time I go home, I'm like, how can I not replicate this? I cook every day and it doesn't taste like this. It makes me so mad. And they won't tell you like exactly <laughs> yeah. what's going on. They're yeah. like, oh, I just put this and that. Just put a little bit. Just put... And you're like, okay, but I tried. It's not, it doesn't Exactly. Taste. I followed it to a T. What do you mean? <laughs> but that's how she keeps you coming back. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Oh, you must miss them because they're all in, in Quebec in yeah. everybody's in Montreal in the area yeah well going back to I guess your childhood and and as you were growing up I think a lot of kids have this dream of becoming a professional athlete like every boy I talked to growing up regardless of their ethnicity and background they're like I want to be in the NBA like I'm gonna make it to the NBA <laughs> everyone everyone wanted to be Michael Jordan and yeah. Kobe and LeBron Um, but very few people actually follow through. Like, what do you, what were some things that were put in place that led you to become an athlete that made you choose this, like every step of the way? Honestly, I think that it came from just my parents putting me into sports when I was younger. I, I started the sport winning. So that helps. (laughs) Like I wasn't like, who doesn't like winning? So I, I did get into it and like, I, but I still did the work after as well you know of course that's the thing too like if you win and you're winning but then you think you're winning and you don't put in the work then it's not going to last for long so absolutely Uh, yeah in in one of my favorite books um by my favorite author is Malcolm Gladwell and he writes this book Outliers where he talks about athletes like especially in the NHL you'll see a lot of athletes a high percentage of the athletes being born in the first three months of the year because they're just generally bigger compared to their peers because they've had more time to grow basically. Um, And so that puts them at a physical advantage. But in addition to that, they also have to have the work ethic and the passion for the sport. So it really, in order to become a professional athlete, it's not just talent. And obviously it's not just like naturally winning every single time. It's, you also have to bring the the work ethic too. there's that second half of the equation. I think that's lost on a lot of, a lot of kids growing up. It's like, oh, I have to practice every day after school. Yeah. 
I have to give up playtime to go do this? Like, nah, I, I don't want to do that. Anything. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Like even growing up, like, especially in high school, like, Personally, I wasn't like a social butterfly. Like I did have my friends, but I wasn't into like the parties and stuff like that. And obviously like all the competitions were in the, on the weekend. Can't go to the parties. (laughs) Can't go hanging out. Can't go do the, so that's also like, you have to be okay with that. So you have to be able to not sacrifice, but like make a choice of, Hey, do I want to be good at this? Can, do I want to travel to places yeah then I don't need to go to that party and drink them beers Mm, yeah choices making choices and then understanding your why like why am I not going to these parties oh because I have this goal that I want to achieve and it makes me feel good when I do this that's so important to realize as a kid I think I really lack that like I was terrible uh, in gym class in high school. My gym teachers hated me because I would come up with any excuse. I'd be like, oh, I stubbed my toe. I can't, uh, I can't play basketball today. Sorry. Like I would try to get out of it. And I think it was just because I was afraid. First of all, I was afraid to look bad trying because I wasn't naturally gifted. So I didn't mm-hmm. want to embarrass myself by putting myself out there. And then second of all, I didn't want to give up um, the free time or the freedom to get better at it. So those choices led me to not be great at sports in school. Um, But it's funny now because fitness is such a big part of my life. Like it's Mm -hmm. such a form of therapy and personal development for me. But I just look back on those times. I'm like, Ooh, you were so short-sighted and dumb. (laughs) You didn't know how to make sacrifices. That's why you weren't good. Um, So looking back now, like what are some qualities would you say that you embody that really served you at the time? Um, to becoming an athlete? Honestly, like I've, I've always been hard-headed. You can ask my mom. She <laughs> probably would say yes. This kid was very hard-headed. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't really give up. Like, <laughs> if I really want something, like, I rarely give up. Like, if something happens, like, turn around and adapt yourself and find some, some other way to get places type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um like I used to travel to go to um, to my practices like an hour, an hour and a half. Back one way. For it. Yeah, one way, oh an hour gosh. and a half. So that's, that's how I was able to go there. Like it, if I didn't take the time to do that, then I wouldn't be training, you know? I would say perseverance, just um, also being honest about things. Um, like if I'm hurt or it's a big thing to like, as an athlete, sometimes you just want to work through pain, but it's not necessarily the best thing. You just have to gauge, but... To your credit about honesty, like there's so much pressure to perform, to show up. You know, not only you've invested a lot of your time and energy and resources, but so have the people around you who believe exactly. in you. And so it's so easy to feel like, oh, I don't want to let anyone down if I admit that I'm hurt or if I take it easy. Yeah, that's such a hard line to to grapple with. We now live in a society where comparison and competition is so normalized in social media. We look at someone else's life. We're like, they have a better life than me. I want to be like them in this way and X, Y, and Z ways. Um, How do you, how do you like self-regulate that competition mindset and prevent it from becoming toxic, but also having it available to you to use and draw on during training and during 
the times that do count. Well, I will say that I have fallen into that trap too of like, mm-hmm. hey, look at this athlete. She looks like she's doing better than me and or she's not or he or she is not doing as much as I am doing, why do they have all of this? And why do they have sponsors? And why do they have this and that? And I really had to um, check myself basically and be like, hey, you're not. And it's also like conversations with friends and family. And um, I did have a sports psychologist as well of like, hey, this person, you don't even know what this person is going through. You don't know what they've been through to get to there. And you don't know, like, I'm technically, I'm very content with my life. I'm very happy, content with who I am right now. Maybe they're not. Like, and also, like, I'm living my own life. I'm not in anybody else's life. I'm not in anybody else's body. So I have to bring things to myself and focus on me and be like, hey, yeah, this person has this, but what do I have? What am I happy with? And if I'm not happy with something or if I don't have something, well, then just go get it. Don't talk about it. Just don't sit around and be like, oh, this person, there's this person that. No, just go and get it <laughs> if you want it. Yeah, I love that last one. Yeah. I think especially as women, I definitely felt the sense of if she's pretty smart, successful, then I can't be because she took away my ability to, to, exactly. to own that. It's almost no. like we're pitted against each other, but them being amazing doesn't do anything about my potential or Absolutely. possibilities for me. Like I can still go out and be just as amazing or even more so in my own way. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's really yeah. well said. Yeah. No. And, and just even like, because I do a little bit of modeling as well. And I'm like, this girl looks exactly like me. What's happening? Like, why am I not getting this? Well, you need to look at yourself and figure out what you got to do. Yeah. And honestly, to your credit, it's not because of you, like you're not a shallow person or anything like that. It's just, mm-hmm. it truly is the social norm that we operate in. Everybody yeah. is in this like scarcity mindset by default. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we have to fight our way to not choose that default every single second of our lives. Yeah. And you basically have to forget. check yourself. Yeah, you just have mm-hmm. to check yourself, basically. What am I doing for what I want? Stop looking at other people. You don't know what they're going through. You're not, you don't, you're not in that person's body. Yeah. Like, you will never be. Talk to that person and see what they've done. That's true, too. You can yeah. communicate. You can reach out. It doesn't have to be a versus mentality. Exactly. Yeah, and it sounds like, from the way you describe them, you have these teammates who are of that same thread. And even though running seems like such an individual sport, like you're in your own head, you are managing what you can control. It's nice to be in a community of people who understand that and who help you like draw on those um, characteristics. Yeah, absolutely. Like we all have our different um, paths. Like I, one of my teammates is the Olympic medalist in high jump. I might not, I'm not there. But mm-hmm. like he, he's there. And uh, my other teammates, three-time Olympian, they, they're not like, yeah, well, I'm the Olympic medalist. Or, well, I've been three times. No, we're all on the same level. And we're here to get stuff done. And we're always pushing each other and encouraging each other. Like, especially in track, like, what you've done in the past almost doesn't count. 
sometimes <laughs> in the eyes of people and in, in the eyes of the sport. So if you're not top of mind all the time, yeah. Oh, that sounds very political. Yeah. <laughs> Deep exhale. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. We got a we got a glimpse of that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm yeah. not going to chase it any further because again, we want those sponsorships to roll in. <laughs> but, but I mean, that's not scandalous. I think for as long as we've known, sport is a business, and yeah. so w- anytime there's money involved, there's endorsements involved. There are politics. There Absolutely. are personal likes. There are personal dislikes. So. I, I think it's, it would be naive to think otherwise, to think exactly. that that's not true. Um, but yeah, it, it does exist even in sports like running. Um, yep. And that's also another thing, like when, like it's totally attention, but like when people are saying like athletes should say it out of politics, like if you knew what we have to deal with sometimes, <laughs> you wouldn't say that. <laughs> you would yeah. not say anything. <laughs> even with track, you like, oh, it's super factual. It's very numbers, but mm-hmm. why? But do the best why... people always go to the Olympics? Crickets. I would say that most of the time, if for sure, like mm-hmm. if you have the one of the best times, yes, you probably will. But yeah some other aspect of the sport so much drama sometimes it's uh, yeah yeah but to bring it back to the sport itself Mm -hmm. i think so in my line of work as a nutritionist i work with a lot of people who are mindful athletes so these are everyday people who just want to be as good as they can be as strong as they can be as fast as they can be in their own context while living a really fulfilling life i think once you cross the line of wanting to become a professional athlete there's a lot more sacrifices that Mm -hmm. end up being made and your life becomes imbalanced to the average person, to another athlete. They would see that as normal, but to the average person, they would, they would think like, wow, you spent a lot of time training and thinking about training and trying to get to competitions and whatnot. Um, So for you in your personal life with your friends and family, has that been easy to, I guess, incorporate um, to just participate in community as an athlete um yeah it has been a little like I've had to say no to a lot of things and I've missed weddings and births and (laughs) a bunch of birthdays that's for sure um I've missed a lot of stuff with the family um I've missed funerals too um it's just it took a while for my family, especially my family and my friends to understand. But most of my friends are like track based or have known me um, as I was doing track. So mm-hmm. it's kind of normal to them and they know what to ask me and not what, what not to ask me <laughs> to participate yeah. in. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you have your kid around the time of the Olympics, that's your own fault. <laughs> that's <laughs> not my problem. Yeah. I'm not gonna be here. <laughs> So like everybody knows kind of like everybody's used to it now, but it was a learning experience, especially with my family. Like, are you not coming to this wedding? It's at the middle of nationals. Like what? No, I'm not going to (laughs) come. Like anything that has to do in the the summer, it's a wrap. I can't, as I said, like it's to me, it's not a sacrifice. It's, It's just the choice of, Hey, I'm making this choice because I want to further my career in track. Um, and they all understand. They're all like, it sucks. I'll send you photos. <laughs> I'm like, cool. 
send me a piece of the cake. <laughs> but yeah, and even like getting involved in the community, like I would love to be able to do more stuff, but um, a lot of that stuff demands energy, energy that I need to keep for training and resting. Um, I, I like to volunteer. I do volunteer when I can, when it works with my schedule. <laughs> so it's like, I try to give as much as I can in within my means, obviously, but they get a lot of juggling, obviously. Yeah. I think balance just means something different to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for most of us, you know, we can invest into three baskets. That's kind of the common belief in the personal development world is you have three rounds that you can really invest in. Um, sometimes people choose relationships. Sometimes people choose community work. Sometimes people choose friends. So that means if I invest in these three things, I probably can't be a professional athlete because I don't have anything left to give to that realm, you know? (laughs) Whereas if you're a professional athlete, it's like vice versa. Like if you're giving everything that you've got and you're betting on yourself for this one thing, then it would be it would be wrong for you to expect yourself to give to these other things because it's not fair to you. You don't have, you're a finite person at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. right? You have finite time, finite resources. It's not fair to expect that of yourself when it's unrealistic. I've gotten better over the years because at the beginning of my career, I was like, no, I can't go there. No, I'm not doing this. No, I'm not doing that. No, I can come to dinner. Yes, you can go to dinner, Kim. It's okay. <laughs> like, so over the years, like especially the past, I would say three, four years, mm. I've given myself a little bit more leeway of like, yeah, you can go have dinner on Saturday night somewhere. Mm. Like, just come back at eleven, but <laughs> you'll be fine. Yeah, two buck wild, but yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, and like also like, you can go to the occasional party. You'll recover. You'll be fine. Like, mm. don't go every day or every week. But yeah. for the average person that would look like, you know, in the start of you laying down a habit, whether that's healthy eating or meal prep or whatever, you try your best to protect that habit and not disrupt it, not deviate from it. But over time, as you get better at implementing that habit and it becomes second nature to you, and it's easier for you to go back to it once you deviate, it's okay to have like dinner out once in a while. It's okay to go on vacation. Exactly. Yeah. For most people within the first like six to eight weeks of laying down a habit, maybe try to minimize those things just so that that habit can, can seed and take root and grow. But over time, it's like, that should be part of life, food, exercise, all of these things that we want to strive for shouldn't be a burden that prevents us from living life. It should add to our lives and it should help us live life more. And I think, yeah, people can lose sight of that. Before um, we get to the fun part of this interview, I have one more question just about motivation, because I think that's something that a lot of people are struggling with, especially now during the pandemic, when they've lost all these social cues or social um, feedback for them to have motivation um, and that external accountability. So for you, um, movement is your job and it's a big part of your identity, your sense of purpose. We've talked all about that. What's your perspective on motivation? Is it overrated? Like what motivates you specifically? Um, and what do you do when you're running low on that? Huh? Good question. (laughs) Um, I don't think that it's overrated, Mm. but I think it's overused. Um, 
over relied on. Yeah. Yeah. And like, just honestly, my motivation is not always on the high, obviously. There's some days that I wake up, I'm like, I don't really want to go train, you know, (laughs) I don't want to go Mm -hmm. suffer today. I don't feel like it. Um, (laughs) But again, it's just, it just comes back to the habit of, I got to get up. I got to go to get to practice. The only thing that I do, like sometimes if I personally am feeling like very low motivation or like it, or during a workout, I'm like, I don't really want to do this or I don't want to, I want this to be done. I try to remind myself of like why I'm here and like my goals. I'll just be like, Hey, you're trying to beat these people. Mm. And it's enough to like switch back. Or competition be better than someone i'm there (laughs) (laughs) or like i i kind of trick myself into like listen if you finish this really strong you're gonna make it to the olympics (laughs) like it's so dumb but it's like (laughs) no that's great that's literally a mantra like yeah and it's basically like okay visualization yeah Mm. so you just have to trick literally have to trick yourself yeah. I mean, is it tricking? I think you're telling the truth. You're yeah. literally <laughs> like, <laughs> like you could not go to the Olympics without doing that one extra training session. Technically, because, no, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah. if you look back on all of your training sessions, if you missed any single one of them, that could have derailed your whole career. Yeah. I think every step that we take matters in getting us to where we need to be. So I, I don't think it's a trick at all. I think that's so <laughs> smart. I recently rewatched this Chadwick Boseman interview and mm-hmm. got across his whole. He is mm-hmm. such an intelligent, well-spoken man. But he basically said, like, everybody thinks that actors are artists and artists are supposed to be free-forming and there are no rules, there are no restrictions. When in reality, these intellectual, like, artistic jobs are like blue-collar jobs. Like you're supposed to show up every day. You know, if you book a job on set, you have to show up. This yep. production's there. The team is there. The makeup people are there. They're waiting for you. It doesn't matter how you feel that day. You got to show mm-hmm. up and you got to deliver those lines. And same thing, like I really extrapolate that for nutrition, for being a finance person, for being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. These are white collar jobs. I don't even like calling it that. Yeah. You know, they're intellectual jobs. You're talking about science and smart things. But ultimately, it, we're still professionals. We still have to show up on days where we don't want to. So if we yeah. only rely on motivation or that sense of motivation, most people think of motivation as like this feeling like of wanting to do things. No. Motivation isn't that. Motivation is the momentum of you just showing up every day and it becomes habit. It becomes normal to you. It, yeah. If you don't do it, it feels weird. That's exactly. motivation. Yeah. yeah. I, if I don't go to practice, like if I were to like, not go to practice i'd feel terrible you're like just because i don't want i I feel terrible like i just it's just not in our nature to do that stuff like yeah and that says so much about the habits and the like patterns that you've laid down for yourself Mm -hmm. that routine and discipline is normal for you now and you don't have to try so hard to like bring it out of you that's so cool Mm -hmm. well i just want to say a huge freaking thank you for (laughs) dropping all of the this wisdom on us um before i get you to plug in all of your social media outlets and what you're up to i want to go through a round of rapid fire questions gotcha are you ready is you ready always (laughs) ready 
I was born ready. That so. is the answer <laughs> of a champion. I love it. That was a test and you passed. Yay, you thank you. <laughs> okay, number one, where were you born? Montreal, Canada. Montreal. Yeah, Montreal. Sweet. Such a beautiful city. What is your favorite animal? Okay, so I have two. Okay, okay, let's um, hear it. I, I really like raccoons. Ooh, you're in the right city for that. I'm glad the you were here. They, they, so <laughs> they smell with their hands. And I know they're so cute. Yeah. And I, I went to Australia a couple of, well, last, last year. I don't even know what year. Was, it's 2020. But... Who the hell? <laughs> so I went to Australia a couple of years ago, and I really like kangaroos. They're oh, soft. Uh, you petted one? Yes. I didn't think they were soft. Oh they are God. soft. How do you take your coffee? Do you drink coffee? I do drink coffee. Um, I put maple syrup in my coffee. That is the most Quebecois thing I've ever heard in my life. Do you also inject it into your veins, like for basically. as a pre-workout? Basically, honestly, if yeah. I could, I would. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my god. Okay, if we were to film a biopic about you, which yeah. celebrity would play you? Issa Rae. Because oh love my her. god, I was I gonna say her. that. I love her. Uh, yeah, what like top three favorite actresses of yeah, all time. she's amazing. Definitely Issa Rae. And she's yeah. the producer and director. Like, she just yeah. does it all. She does it all. And, like, mm-hmm. like in Insecure, like, when she raps, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of do that sometimes. Oh, yeah, in the mirror. <laughs> but Get I don't it. got bars. I don't have bars. <laughs> you don't need to. It's in the mirror. It's fine. What would be your last meal on Earth? This is a great question to ask you. You're a foodie. Okay. So, can I have two? Girl, it's your last meal. Go for, like, <laughs> go for courses. I've had people be like, um, I want half a steak because I can't finish it all. Um, I want a cheesecake. And I'm just like, how long is this interview going to be? Like, they're just listing out courses. So you do you. Go. This okay, is okay, okay, okay. Okay, my last meal, like a, a rosé sauce pasta, but like a seafood one <laughs> with lobster on top and some cheese. Yeah. Oh, and my favorite thing is when people are lactose intolerant and then they're like, oh yeah, bring all the cheese. I'll have pasta and and pizza and I'll have a charcuterie board. I'm like, yeah, you're about to die. Like fucking go for it. (laughs) Go off this. (laughs) I know for me, I'm like, I think I would have like a poutine with foie gras and lobster on it. Just like the heaviest meal. Like whatever, I'm going to die. Who cares? (laughs) Do you have a favorite karaoke song? Yeah. Work it by Missy Elliott. <laughs> Yo, that requires skills. Like, she sings fast in that song. Yeah, I, I like always aspire to be that, but it just ends up like, like I oh, like, no. jumble I the words. It, it makes no it. sense. Oh, yeah. You're like my hero <laughs> right there. You got long ass legs. You can reach the top shelf and you can sing Missy Elliott songs. Just the perfect person. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what's the favorite place you've ever visited? Um, I mean, Australia was really nice. Yeah. Uh, I would say favorite, 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 hands down favorite. It's, it's Australia. It's Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Picked a, a whole great country. <laughs> you know what? It's an island technically, so it counts. Okay. <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> Do you live by quotes at all? Is there like a co- quote that motivates you? So I you always use the, if at first you don't succeed, this is a fucking try again. <laughs> be a song, yes. God bless. And <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I haven't that. I have another one. Um, something's going down, and it's not going to be me. <laughs> that's wow that's like aggressive and intimidating and so cool all at the same time well, something's going down but it ain't gonna be me so no I, I love that um if you could have any superpower what would it be i feel like you're already you can already run really fast like what what else would you do well i mean i would fast, run faster but um that's true you could do like the flash i would like to be able to teleport yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, that could be like running really fast, so fast that you teleport, but yeah, but then I don't have faster. to do all the running work. Part of it. True. Just that would be so gone. I know. I'm yeah. like secretly hoping the human race is close to that because I yeah. feel like when people think like 2020, like, I yeah, think, was it back to the future? Like, 2020? Yeah, nothing, like, nothing year? of that happened. Nothing no, of it happened. No, but I'm hoping like 2030, maybe. <laughs> Let's try this again. <laughs> Um, you are very hopeful. Yeah, it's okay. Hopeful. You're allowed. <sighs> White knuckling hope, as I said. <laughs> um, do you like kombucha at all? Do you drink kombucha? Um, I'll drink it randomly. Okay. Do you have a favorite flavor, or do you have like a flavor that you feel like I should try? Um, I like the ginger one. Me too. I, I don't really ginger. go past that. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I've tried. Wait, did I try? Oh, I've tried hibiscus and stuff. I don't like that. But I think I I would I just don't like hibiscus. Okay. That's okay. I yeah, I love adding ginger to kombucha. Ginger itself is so anti inflammatory and it's it's so a great good. stomach soother. Yeah, it's so yeah. good for athletes and just everyday people too. Yeah. Um it's nice. Yeah, it's one of my go tos. And fun fact, if you wanna have a little fun yeah know, olympics is next year um <laughs> you can use ginger kombucha in place of ginger beer for like cocktails you can add oh. you can do like a moscow mule you can do oh. yeah it's really fun thank you for indulging us with all those questions and answers um You're tell welcome. everyone at home where they can find you Plug you can find me on the gram, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Kim Hyacinth. She's an influencer for Lululemon. Like not like, anymore. Yeah. My contract is done. What? Yeah. She's a free agent. Then <laughs> <laughs> a pair of companies hit her up. <laughs> so my contract is done. Um, but yeah, uh, at Kim Hyacinth and Kimberly Hyacinth on Facebook. Anything? Yeah, she I don't has have a, a website page. She got a Facebook page and an Instagram. Yeah, you don't need a website yeah, anymore. Yeah. Um, and her last name is spelled H-Y-A-C-I-N-T-H-E. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a fun one to spell out. It's great. Um, amazing. <laughs> well, you can find the podcast at Booch Please Podcast, all three words in one handle. Uh, you can also find us on Spotify. Make sure you give us a little rating, a little comment. Only positive things, though, because my ego can't take it otherwise. <laughs> and if you guys want to follow me, Corinne, on Instagram, it's at kombucha.mami. That's M-A-M-I. And you can also visit my website, corinnechent.ca. Hit us up. Thank you guys so much for listening at home. I hope you took something away from this one. It's probably one of my favorite conversations I've had in a while. Oh, honestly. thank yeah. you. <laughs> so grateful to have you here. And uh, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye.